Welcome back, everyone. Uh, the topic last time, if you'll remember, we talked about uh, what is community, what are some characteristics, and the basic guidelines uh, to jump in. And so now we're going to talk about a couple of the first two things, which is uh, setting intentions. Um, and then the second is practices. And you'll see this slide uh, within setting intentions. I want to cover three pieces, which is centering, field setting, and then the use of nature. And then under practices, I want to talk about meeting preparedness and powerful and question, powerful questions. So first, let's start with, uh, with centering. So centering, this is a little different than what Richard Strozzi talked about as centering, centering in the body with a declaration, although as we did this work and did work with Richard and so forth over time, we, myself and, and, and my team, uh, we used uh, community in our session together, actually practiced what Richard taught us. We would, we would stand up, we would center ourselves together as a group. Uh, we would share our declarations. Uh, sometimes we would do some other movements that Richard taught us uh, of kind of team coordination and so forth. So it doesn't exclude that, but you're probably going to be with groups that may or may not have experienced the somatic uh, education training that, that Richard was, was helping us with in this program. And so uh, what, it, what it is, centering, we named it this in the beginning because we felt like meditation was intimidating. Uh, we started on this almost 10 years ago. And frankly, it was before mindfulness became a thing in companies, a thing to do in companies. It wasn't really accepted. And quite frankly, I didn't want to freak everyone out. So we called it centering. And, um, and it was a range of practices, everything from just simply taking three minutes of silence in the beginning, I, close your eyes or not, whatever an individual prefers. And I used to say to everyone, the purpose of this is really to pull, become present with what we're doing and pull everyone's attention into the room. And so I literally would say, let's each take three deep breaths. We would do that together. I would always close my eyes. I don't know. I think most people did uh, when, they, when they saw me doing it. But they close their eyes and we and I would time it roughly three minutes. And at the end, I would say, OK, let's take three deep breaths again. And then we would come back and we would begin. As we matured in this process, um, we started using apps. We I, I would put my iPad in the center of the room and we would use a mindfulness daily at work uh, module from Jack and Tara, which I know we've been doing as, as a, a part of the inner MBA. There's many, many apps available. And over time, I also, I would lead a, a, uh, a meditation. Um, I've learned how to do that. Uh, over time, we got other volunteers in the group to actually do that. That's fairly advanced. Um, but again, we were a dual bottom line company. We taught this actively. It, it would be the mental model you should have for my experience was almost like having all the leadership and all, really almost all the people participate in an inner MBA type of curriculum, at least in part. And so these were not, in the beginning, they were very unusual practices, but over time it became just a natural way for us to practice together these things that we were learning. So, uh, however, let me just say the minimum bit uh, is some type of uh, collection process with attention into the room, even if it's one minute of silence. Uh, it's very, very important. Part of what we're doing in community 
is we're trying to shift the context. We're trying to shift the context from a normal hierarchical type meeting where everyone is accountable, where we don't have the leader. We'll talk more about that. Uh, and that we're focused on possibility and future and that we're going to be open and genuine with each other. And in order to set that context and shift that context, it's critical that everyone be present with the, with the group. So that's number one. The second, uh, actually, I don't have uh, listed on this slide, but it's part of field setting I want to talk about is our check-in process. So after we would do the centering, we would then go around, not in order, we would just check in. And so when someone felt, uh, felt compelled to speak, they would, they would check in, they would, and talk about uh, what, what they were bringing to the, to the room at that time. Might talk about, it'd been a while since we'd been together as a group, if it were my team and someone would say, Hey, I was just in XYZ factory a few days ago or a week ago. And here's what I saw. And it, 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 it meant a lot to me. It moved me one way or another, good, bad, could be something in their personal life, could be a combination of things. Uh, like that. So we would check in. Now, when there was limited time, we can talk about uh, the time aspect of this uh, more, maybe more in Q&A in a couple of weeks. Um, because in short meetings, um, some, these practices can be adopted. They have to be modified. And the fact is, authentic community is probably not going to be achieved because it can't be bought quickly and cheaply, particularly for a new group. However, many of these practices make for effective meetings anyway and effective interactions. It's kind of better than doing nothing. So in some of our short meetings, again, this is after we had matured quite a bit, if they were shorter meetings, we would do a one word or a one sentence check-in where someone would just say, hey, I'm coming, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling nervous, I'm feeling settled, I'm feeling relaxed or whatever it was. And we would just go around the room. It's just a chance for everyone in the beginning to get their voice in the room. Um, but let me talk more broadly about field setting. It's a very important. And in the resources for this module, I'm going to put up a field paper called the field paper written by uh, Peter Senge and Joseph Jaworski and others uh, talking about what, what is a field uh, and what is a field. This is really what kind of makes this whole process a little bit mysterious. Uh, David Bohm, the famous physicist, would call this uh, the implicate order, which you'll hear from Otto Schomer at the bottom of the U. You enter the implicate order, which is part of our universe that really contains knowledge, according to these, these experts. But it's this, it's this feeling. There's many names for it. Joseph would call it collective intelligence, uh, the implicate order. Um, some might call it love, uh, love and peace. It's, it's a calming kind of feel that we're trying to set with, with, with the group. And so the centering is one step of that. And then there's other mechanisms to do that. I'm going to get you all to practice in the homework. Uh, one, uh, one that I used uh, quite a bit was reading a story, short stories on one page called The Rabbi's Gift. The Rabbi's Gift is the prologue to, uh, to a book, the Peck book, A Different Drum, The Different Drum. But you can find the rabbi's gift if you just Google rabbi's gift. And there's a few versions of it out there. And I would literally read that story. Uh, and after re reading it out loud. And so for homework, I would like you to do this after this module in your pods. I'd like you to try a centering process, uh, then a check in, 
and then someone read the rabbi's gift out loud to the group. And I think it would work better if the rabbi, you pick that person ahead of time and the, uh, the others don't read the story so that when you come, when, because after you read the story, the first step is then to reflect on how did that story strike you? And it would be best for that to be kind of a raw, here's my reaction and how it made you feel in the moment for hearing it the first time, as opposed to reading it ahead of time and then thinking through, oh, what should I say to be intelligent and so forth Yeah, in front of my colleagues. And so it's better if you just have that be kind of a raw, clean experience. But that's one mechanism we used, uh, the reading, the rabbi's gift. And, and, and trust me, I would sit in a group many, many times with 15 or 20 people in a factory, many of these were, uh, we would have a vertical diagonal slice of the organization. So these were frontline factory workers, machinists, maintenance people, operators, blue collar workers, right? And these were every age, right? Including 50, 40, 50, et cetera. These were you know, what would generally be considered you know, pretty rough uh, people, uh, just wonderful, wonderful souls. And we would center uh, and we would check in and I would read the rabbi's gift to them. Uh, a lot of times I would make a joke. It's probably been a long time since you've had someone read you a story, but I'm going to do that. And I would, I would read it. And then I would ask them, how did that strike you? And they would start to share. Now, when they started to share, typically they would be looking at me and responding to me. I would on purpose direct this to the group by not looking at them or directing them, directing their attention to the group, because this was not, uh, didn't have anything to do with me. It was the collective and they would start to share with each other. And after sharing uh, uh, their, uh, uh, their reaction, their, their response, what would it, how it made them feel after that would go on for 10 or 15 minutes. And then I would typically say, what would it be like, to have that type of environment here at work with your colleagues. And by that time, see, if I'd have gone in and just said, hey, what's wrong with this place, right? What could we do better? Then here we go. Well, you know, there'd be all kinds of complaining and dot, 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 and, and everyone would be talking over each other and they would be disagreeing and, you know, arguing about things and ignoring each other and so forth. But it's impossible to have a bad reaction to the rabbi's gift um, it, because everyone's reaction is valid because it's a story. It's a mythical story. And it me, it hits people emotionally, right? So they've gotten in that. So now that's the field is set. And so now they're able to talk about challenges at the workplace, what we do well, what we don't do well, what, what we see is missing that comes from an authentic place. So that's the field setting process. There's another tool I'll put, I won't talk about it now, but we'll put it in the resources called the field of the future. Um, and it's just, it's another, it's a guided imagery uh, that will walk people through. That's very, very effective, particularly when the group is going to be together for more of an extended period of time. And I'd like to put a plug in for, uh, for books at work, which we also used uh, in the company. Someone asked me about that in the, uh, Q&A, because we don't have time to talk about it now, but I'd love to talk about Books at Work. It's a wonderful nonprofit organization that works with companies uh, to do their process, which is essentially to have the group read some, usually a short story 
um, and then talk about it, uh, facilitated by a professor. So, um, uh, so that is um, the field setting. I'm going to talk about one more aspect of field setting, which is the use of nature. It is so powerful, as you know, we have a kind of connection to nature. It's where we came from. And anybody who's ever taken a walk in the park or spent any time in the woods by themselves knows that we all become much more contemplative and quiet. And uh, it's, just, it's just a very healthy thing for, for us human beings to do. When we can take a group uh, into that setting, even if it's on a back deck, a back porch, uh, some kind of pavilion, uh, it's very, very powerful. If we can't do that, try to get somewhere where at least there's a big window. Um, and a lot of times in the business world, that that's not practical. So I, I understand that. But when it's a team, it's working on something very, very important for the future, a possibility trying to invent a new business, a new service, a new product. And, you know, using nature is an under-leveraged uh, tool, in my opinion, for business. Okay. I'm going to move on now to practices. I want to talk about uh, two aspects, meeting preparedness uh, first. And so uh, this is really for the facilitator or the leader, the convener of this group. It's very, very important that that convener gives some thought to this ahead of time uh, and plan for this. First, the setting. Uh, and when it's in a conference room, uh, we would do it in a circle of chairs with no tables. And so everyone would be, would come in and there would, there would, you know, be seats enough for everyone. And if there's an extra seat, we would remove it from the circle and tighten the circle back up again. Obviously that's not possible in a, in a pandemic environment. Uh, so we kind of have to make the best of, of Zoom. Uh, but when we get back to getting together, at least periodically for things, whenever that is, um, it's important to not sit around a table in the traditional sense. Again, we're trying to shift the context. We're also trying to have people be exposed with their authentic self. The other is for the facilitator to really, really prepare their own intentions. And uh, in particular, think through how am I going to set the field? Uh, I'm gonna, what kind of centering do I wanna do? Do I wanna read the rabbi's gift, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, the leader needs to get their mind around the fact that they're a convener of this session. Um, it's more helpful when the attendance is voluntary or it feels voluntary. Um, this was hard for me to do because when a CEO calls people together, it's a CEO calling people together and they had to come. And so I knew that, but I also, uh, tried to make it in a way that if you can't attend, that's okay because of some other commitment. Or if you want to pick it up later at a different session, I tried to do everything I could to make it uh, voluntary. Once someone decides to come, they have to be all in, but the choice of coming is theirs. And so there's ways to try to come close to that it's hard in a business environment because we do have some mandatory meetings when my staff got together, et cetera, but it's just to hold that more lightly perhaps than normal. Uh, there's a few other tips, which is when we would take a break, everyone would come back and have to sit in a different seat um, next to people that they hadn't sat by before. 
um, every break for lunch, for, et cetera, if the meeting went on for an extended period of time. And we would usually recenter uh, for just a few minutes, not maybe not as extensive as the first time, but we would recenter. And the other thing is we would help each other with I statements. I'm going to talk about I statements next, um, but uh, also I'll leave it for that. But we would definitely do that. The other thing we used a lot was journaling and what I call dyads. Uh, so if the group, it's particularly in the beginning, if we want the group to share and the group is somehow a little bit reticent to really, or we have some members of the group that aren't really fully participating, rather than call them out, what, what I would typically do is offer a question, a reflective question, which I'll talk about in a second with powerful questions. Because the role of the leader is really to guide the group with questions and not answers. Uh, I offer a question uh, and then ask everyone to journal about it on their own for a few minutes and then share it with their neighbor because it, that's a small step. Once they share with their neighbor back and forth, then they have more courage to share with the whole group. So that's another kind of tip and trick to get people to participate more. The last thing I would like to talk about is these powerful questions. And when we get to the leader section, we'll, uh, uh, we'll talk more about this. But uh, some examples. Questions are more transforming than answers. You've, I've heard somewhere Tammy say, or maybe somebody on one of her programs say uh, that the spiritual journey is, is, doesn't, doesn't give you answers. It makes you question your answers. And that's spiritual growth. I think it's related to that uh, somehow. But when there's a collective, uh, they don't want to hear what I think about uh, things. Uh, the group uh, needs to be provocative in themselves. And usually the questions are ambiguous, personal, and invoke anxiety. So it's questions like, how much risk are you willing to take to be part of this group? And... Uh, what gifts have you fully not have you not fully brought to this to this group? And uh, what price are you willing to pay to be part of this community? All right. So it's these kind of provocative questions um, that um, that prove to be helpful. So your homework for the next uh, for the next week is in your pods to do a, a practice, just centering, checking in, and setting the field through somebody doing reading the rabbi's gift out loud.